Long history. Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. Part 8. Mortal enemies in the search for El Dorado. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History. This is the place where we take source documents from history and split them up into chunks of around 10 minutes. So if you've had your appetite whetted by listening to some brief histories and want something in a bit more detail, this is the place to explore. We've got many documents now, including many famous names such as Magellan, Columbus and Francis Drake and about some of the earliest documented explorations of the Pacific, the United States and the Philippines. Here, however, we're looking at a somewhat eccentric document about Sir Walter Raleigh's search for the legendary El Dorado. We're now on to episode 8 of an 18-part series, so if you want a bit of an introduction, you might want to look up episode 1 and listen to the other episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when other episodes are released. So before we get going, just a quick summary of what's happened so far in this document. Raleigh crossed the Atlantic, making his way from England to Trinidad, and then from Trinidad he's made his way up the Orinoco River in South America. However, he's gone on his own tangent because this document isn't just about his explorations. It's also an attempt to persuade, well, perhaps principally the Queen of England to explore this area further and perhaps conquer and colonise it. This is Sir Walter Raleigh aiming for glory. As part of this document, however, Raleigh tells us about previous explorations of the area in an attempt to prove that this wealth that he hasn't quite found does exist. And as we finished the last episode, Raleigh was telling us about the attempt by a man called Berrio to find El Dorado. Raleigh had met Berrio, a Spanish captain, on Trinidad Island and learned a great deal of information about the legendary Golden City from this man. In this episode, Raleigh continues telling us about Berrio's attempt to find this place. We hear of Berrio's rivalry with another man called Videz. He's the governor of a place on the continent near the island of Trinidad called Cumana. Videz has his own plans to search for Guyana. Videz and Berrio become mortal enemies. In their attempts to find this never quite defined El Dorado or Guyana, we hear about a local leader called Carapana, who, in turn, directs the explorers to another place whose leader is called Morequito. These two local leaders also play a key part in the events in this episode. And just before we get going, of all the place names in this episode, just to clarify, what we would call Orinoco, a river in northern South America, is here called the Orinoque and the people who live alongside it are called the Orinocoponi. As this episode begins, Raleigh is in that town led by Carapana, the wise local leader. So this is Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 8, Mortal Enemies in the Search for El Dorado. Perreo sojourned and rested his weak troop in the town of Carapana six weeks, and from him learned the way and passage to Guyana, and the riches and magnificence thereof. But... Being then utterly unable to proceed, he determined to try his fortune another year, when he had renewed his provisions and regathered more force, which he hoped for as well out of Spain as from Nuevo Reino, where he had left his son Don Antonio Jiménez to second him upon the first notice given of his entrance. And so, for the present, embarked himself in canoes, and by the branches of Orinoque, arrived at Trinidad, having, from Carapana, sufficient pilots to conduct him. From Trinidad he coasted Perea, and so recovered Margarita. And, having made relation to Don Juan Sarmiento, the governor, of his proceeding, and persuaded him of the riches of Guyana, he obtained from thence fifty soldiers, promising presently to return to Carapana, and so into Guyana. But Perreo meant nothing less at that time, for he wanted many provisions necessary for such an enterprise, and therefore departed from Margarita, seated himself in Trinidad, 
and from thence sent his campmaster and his sergeant major back to the borders to discover the nearest passage into the empire, as also to treat with the borderers and to draw them into his party and love, without which he knew he could neither pass safely nor in any sort be relieved with victual or aught else. Carapana directed his company to a king called Morakito, assuring them that no man could deliver so much Guyana as Morakito could, and that his dwelling was but five days' journey from Makuraguarai, the first civil town of Guyana. Now your lordship shall understand that this Morakito, one of the greatest lords or kings of the borders of Guyana, had, two or three years before, been at Cumana and at Margarita in the West Indies, with great store of plates of gold, which he carried to exchange for such other things as he wanted in his own country, and was daily feasted, and presented by the governors of those places, and held amongst them some two months, in which time Juan Videz, governor of Cumana, won him to be his conductor into Guyana, being allured by those croissants and images of gold which he brought with him to trade, as also by the ancient fame and magnificence of El Dorado. Whereupon, Videz sent into Spain for a patent to discover and conquer Guyana, not knowing of the precedence of Berrio's patent, which, as Berrio affirmeth, was signed before that of Videz. So as when Videz understood of Berrio, and that he had made entrance into that territory, and foregone his desire and hope, it was verily thought that Videz practised with Morakito to hinder and disturb Barrio in all he could, and not to suffer him to enter through his seigniory, nor any of his companies, neither to victual nor guide them in any sort. For Videz, governor of Cumana, and Berrio were become mortal enemies, as well for that Berrio had gotten Trinidad into his patent with Guyana, as also in that he was by Berrio prevented in the journey of Guyana itself. Uh, howsoever it was, I know not. But Morakito for a time dissembled his disposition, suffered ten Spaniards and a friar, which Berrio had sent to discover Manoa, to travel through his country, gave them a guide from Akuraguarai, the first town of civil and apparelled people, from whence they had other guides to bring them to Manoa, the great city of Inga and being furnished with those things which they had learned of Carapana were of most price in Guyana, went onward, and in eleven days arrived at Manoa, as Berrio affirmeth for certain. Although I could not be assured thereof by the lord which now governeth the province of Morakito, for he told me that they got all the gold they had in other towns on this side Manoa, there being many very great and rich, and, as he said, built like the towns of Christians with many rooms. When these ten Spaniards were returned, and ready to put out of the borders of Aromaya, the district below the Caroni River, the people of Morakito set upon them, and slew them all but one that swam the river, and took from them to the value of forty thousand pesos of gold. And one of them only lived to bring the news to Berria, that both his nine soldiers and Holy Father were benighted in the said province. I myself spake with the captains of Morakito that slew them, and was at the place where it was executed. Berreo, enraged herewithal, sent all the strength he could make into Aramaya, to be revenged of him, his people, and country. But Morakito, suspecting the same, fled over Orinoque, and through the territories of Saima and Wikiri, recovered Kumana, 
where he thought himself very safe with Videz the governor. But Berrio, sending for him in the king's name, and his messengers finding him in the house of Juan Fajardo, on the sudden, ere he was suspected, so as he could not then be conveyed away, Videz durst not deny him, as well to avoid the suspicion of the practice, as also for that unholy father was slain by him and his people. Morequito offered Fajardo the weight of three quintals in gold to let him escape, but the poor Guyanan, betrayed on all sides, was delivered to the campmaster of Berrio, and was presently executed. After the death of this Morequito, the soldiers of Berrio spoiled his territory and took diverse prisoners. Among others, they took the uncle of Morequito, called Topiawari, who is now king of Aramaya, whose son I brought with me into England, and is a man of great understanding and policy. He is above an hundred years old, and yet is a very able body. The Spaniards led him in a chain seventeen days, and made him their guide from place to place between his country and Amiria, the province of Carapana aforesaid, and he was at last redeemed for an hundred plates of gold, and diverse stones called piedras y jadas, or spleen stones. Now, Perrio, for executing of Moraquito and other cruelties, spoils and slaughters done in Aramaya, hath lost the love of the Oracaponi, and of all the borderers, and dare not send any of his soldiers any further into the land than to Carapana, which he called the port of Guyana. But from thence, by the help of Carapana, he had trade further into the country, and always appointed ten Spaniards to reside in Carapana's town. The Spanish settlement of Santo Tomé de la Guyana, founded by Berrio in 1591 or 1592, but represented by Raleigh as an Indian pueblo, by whose favour, and by being conducted by his people, those ten searched the country thereabouts as well for mines as for other trades and commodities. They also have gotten a nephew of Morequito, whom they have christened and named Don Juan, of whom they have great hope, endeavouring by all means to establish him in the said province. Among many other trades, those Spaniards used canoes to pass to the rivers of Barema, Pauroma and Disequebe, which are on the south side of the mouth of Orinoque, and there by women and children from the cannibals, which are of that barbarous nature, as they will, for three or four hatchets, sell their sons and daughters of their own brethren and sisters, and for somewhat more, even their own daughters. Hereof the Spaniards make great profit, for, buying a maid of twelve or thirteen years for three or four hatchets, they sell them again at Margarita in the West Indies for fifty and an hundred pesos, which is so many crowns. The master of my ship, John Douglas, took one of the canoes which came laden from thence with people to be sold, and the most of them escaped. Yet, of those he brought, there was one as well-favoured and as well-shaped as ever I saw any in England. And afterwards I saw many of them, which but for their tawny colour may be compared to any in Europe. They also trade in those rivers for bread of cassave, of which they buy an hundred pound weight for a knife, and sell it at Margarita for ten pesos. They also recover great store of cotton, Brazil wood, and those beds which they call amacas, or Brazil beds, wherein in hot countries all the Spaniards used to lie commonly, and in no other, neither did we ourselves while we were there. By means of which trades, for ransom of diverse of the Guyanans, and for exchange of hatchets and knives, 
Perreo recovered some store of gold plates, eagles of gold and images of men and diverse birds, and dispatched his campmaster for Spain with all that he had gathered, therewith to levy soldiers, and by the show thereof to draw others to the love of the enterprise. And having sent diverse images as well of men as beasts, birds and fishes, so curiously wrought in gold, he doubted not but to persuade the king to yield to him some further help, especially for that this land hath never been sacked, the mines never wrought, and in the Indies their works were well spent, and the gold drawn out with great labour and charge. He also dispatched messengers to his son in Nueva Reina to levy all the forces he could, and to come down the river Orinoque to Emiria, the province of Carapana, to meet him. He had also sent to Santiago de Leon on the coast of Caracas to buy horses and mules. After I had thus learned of his proceedings, past and purposed, I told him that I had resolved to see Guyana, and that it was the end of my journey, and the cause for my coming to Trinidad, as it was indeed. And for that purpose I sent Jacob Widdon the year before to get intelligence, with whom Berrio himself had speech at that time, and remembered how inquisitive Jacob Widdon was of his proceedings and of the country of Guyana. Berrio was stricken into great melancholy and sadness, and used all the arguments he could to dissuade me, and also assured the gentlemen of my company that it would be labour lost, and that they should suffer many miseries if they proceeded. At first he delivered that I could not enter any of the rivers with any bark or pinnace, or hardly with any ship's boat, it was so low, sandy and full of flats, and that his companies were daily grounded in their canoes, which drew but twelve inches of water. He further said that none of the country would come to speak with us, but would all fly, and if we followed them to their dwellings, they would burn their own towns. And besides that, the way was long, the winter at hand, and that the rivers, beginning once to swell, it was impossible to stem the current, and that we could not in those small boats by any means carry victuals for half the time, and that, which indeed most discouraged my company, the kings and lords of all the borders of Guyana had decreed that none of them should trade with any Christians for gold, because the same would be their own overthrow and that for the love of gold the Christians meant to conquer and dispossess them of all together. Now in this strange document, this is one of the stranger episodes and one of the hardest ones to sort out. I think what Raleigh is basically doing here, to coin a phrase, is to give us a Berrio brain dump. This is all the remaining information that he knows from Berrio, that captain on Trinidad, who Raleigh attacked and took prisoner early on in his time in Trinidad. So to a certain extent we're being given here an account of Raleigh's conversations with Berrio and all the information he could extract from him. Only towards the end of this conversation apparently revealing his own intentions. When Raleigh reveals to Berrio that he himself wants to go in search of El Dorado, Berrio, after telling him, perhaps even bragging to him about his own expeditions and rivalries with men such as Valdez, about the problems he had with this local leader Moraquito, and having obtained permission from the King of Spain to explore the area, he is, perhaps understandably, upset that this Englishman has come along and now wants to attempt the same explorations, and possibly take the glory away from him. Berrio, now upset, tells the Englishman that their task is almost impossible, that the local people will not cooperate, that winter is coming, that the rivers will overwhelm them. As we know, however, 
Raleigh is not dissuaded from his task. In the next episode, after this long digression, Raleigh finally begins to tell us of his own explorations of the area and his own attempts to find El Dorado. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, before moving on, don't forget to like the episode. Please do share it and subscribe if you can. It's all very much appreciated. But above all, thank you for listening to the latest episode of Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. This was part 8, Mortal Enemies in the Search for El Dorado. Goodbye.